0: Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 28. Maggie Morrison, currently vice president and client partner at NTT Data UK, has a wealth of experience in IT and sales and a thirst for travel. I met her recently in Edinburgh's Balmoral Hotel to discuss some of the lessons from her career to date, including enjoyable diversions into the culture of the Isle of Lewis, American poetry, and Eastern philosophy. Enjoy. Hello, Maggie Morrison. Um, You're enjoying a very successful career in IT, a field that has seen incredible transformation since you and I were growing up. Has that always been your thing, and was the young Maggie Morrison drawn to all things techie?
0: No, not really. Um, my thing has always been about travelling and doing whatever I could do to enable me to travel. Uh-huh. So I graduated in 1983 when Scotland was in a recession and I had a long list of things I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I did want to do.
1: Well, what were some of the things you really didn't want
0: to do? Um. Well... I didn't want to be a teacher. My mum was a teacher. Uh I didn't want to be a policeman. My dad was a policeman. And then becoming a lawyer didn't really appeal to me either. I just was always passionate about travelling.
1: You you grew up in Glasgow initially. What was family life like and what qualities do you think you inherited from your parents?
0: Um, Family life was great. I was very lucky, had a very happy childhood. I was born in Easterhouse. Um, my mum had just come out of teacher training college and my dad was a policeman. I definitely think I inherited a very strong work ethic and I've always had lots of strong women in my life. And also because my, my, my mum and my dad I saw as equal breadwinners versus one or the other, which I think was very helpful too. One of the biggest influences on me was the fact that all of my grandparents came from the island of Lewis. So I travelled often to the Western Isles, I think, the first time I was six weeks old and the captain apparently said I was a great advert for Bovril. Um, (laughs) But going to Lewis, uh, Gaelic is my mother's native language, so I heard different languages. Um, My grandmother Mm -hmm. spoke Gaelic in the house. Do you speak Gaelic too? I can understand more than I can speak fluently, um, but I think that probably was partly where my love of travel and exploration flooring came from, and languages, mm. was hearing different languages. And on Lewis, people who weren't crofting or fishing had often been merchant seamen. So so the, there were lots of people in the house that had stories okay. of far-flung places, and I think all of that was a strong influence on me.
1: Uh, and Lewis, is, is, it feels very remote, doesn't it? It's a very different sort of culture there as well so was that part of the, the thrill of being in, in somewhere that felt very different?
0: Yes I was always fascinated by the moon so I used to wonder why the moon in Easter House with right. all the ambient light of the city looked so different in Lewis where there was virtually no ambient light at all mm-hmm. um, and throughout my whole life even now I will go to Lewis, you know, if times are tough or if okay. I'm a bit fed up. Yeah. Because nobody cares what I do or understands what I right. do. And, you know, you go to the post office in Lewis and there, it looks as if there's a queue, but actually people have congregated there to talk. So life works at a very different pace.
1: So you, you then, uh, you know, after after leaving school, you didn't travel that far. You went to Aberdeen. Yeah. You studied French and German. So was that with a view to travel?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely it was, and I went to Aberdeen uh, because my mum had gone from Lewis to Glasgow University and she felt that I would learn more if I also lived away okay. from home. So I remember the day I left, uh, she was crying. And I couldn't understand why she was crying, because I thought, I'm doing exactly what you want. Mm. And she said, but you'll never come home. And I said, oh, don't be silly, Mum, it's a 10-week term. And she said, no, you'll never really come home again. Right. And, of course, I actually never did live at home again. So mm. she understood me pretty well, wow. I think.
1: So what, what, what happened when you left university, what?
0: What happened next? Um, Well, that was tough because it was a recession. I didn't know what I wanted to do and I thought that if I could find a job in London... Um, There would probably be more opportunities in the South East. No one really told me um, that university teaches you all of these uh, other qualities like critical thinking, problem solving, communication. I just thought at the time that university proved that I could learn, but I felt very much that I didn't have any work experience. So my first job was in telephone sales for a company called Maxell Marketing in Slough, that paid four thousand um, pounds. Sounds like pound. kind of Ricky Gervais territory. I, well, <laughs> yes, it paid four thousand pounds a year. It was fifty-seven pounds a week. I remember in a little brown envelope in cash, <laughs> um, and often when you went to work, you smelled either Mars bars or Cherry Menthol Tunes because it was more or less on the Slough trading estate. Oh, right.
1: no, no. But did you did you find it useful in terms of?
0: Really You're useful.
1: Developing your personality and your skills. Yeah,
0: I think for I I don't mind cold calling. I'm right. still happy cold calling. So I learned rejection early. Um, and when you're cold calling you need to very quickly try and establish a rapport with people Mm -hmm. I think it was also quite grounding because um, I don't know if maybe I thought I was a bit special having been to university and I was working with people who hadn't been who were younger and were more advanced in their careers in that particular company and I think that taught me quite a lot Um, that was very valuable and I've carried through all of my career really
1: so what What next?
0: Well, th- the issue with that job was mm. that it didn't enable me to use my languages and it didn't enable me to travel. But it did give me a grounding in sales. Um, so then I looked to find a job which would allow me to travel and use my mm. languages. And I ended up working for a company called Saunders Road Development, who were part of Westland Helicopters, and so for a while I um, sold I- aircraft cockpit equipment and night vision goggles and things. <laughs> and then um, I did travel, I did use my languages, but at the time women still weren't admitted to the boardroom at Westland. So I figured out that that <laughs> probably wasn't going to be the place for um, me to spend any more time.
1: Right. Seems like a pretty firm glass ceiling.
0: Yeah, yes, it was a fairly firm <laughs> glass ceiling then.
1: So good to see things have, uh, are changing now a bit. But uh, so where did you where did you go next in terms of?
0: I think the next move was really the move that set me on the path I'm on today. So I went to join. Um, a company in the communications industry, so I worked for Cabletron, then I worked for 3Com, and in 1996 I joined Cisco, where I spent 14 years, right. and all of those jobs gave me the opportunity not just to travel, but to live and work abroad, so during that period I lived and worked in France, Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, and then um both sides of the United States. So first of all, San Jose in California and then um, North Carolina before coming back to Scotland.
1: So how did those places all compare in terms of both what it was like to live there but also the kind of working practices? How how did the culture?
0: Well, my husband and I both absolutely love Amsterdam. We loved living in the Netherlands. I, I think that the Dutch... Um, first of all, they're, they're, they're quite like the Scots, so they're very direct, so there's a good cultural fit. Um, and often my uh, Cisco colleagues coming over from uh, San Francisco or from California were a bit taken aback by how direct the Dutch were. You know, and if uh, the canteen lady wasn't happy, she didn't really care if it was a vice-president or a senior vice-president. Anybody and everybody would give their opinion. Mm -hmm. I find that quite refreshing. Um, Their words, their bonds, they're very innovative, and I think they have a much better approach to work-life balance. Um, Mm -hmm. And very few people fall through the net in the Netherlands as well. So we really, really enjoyed living there and we made lifelong friends.
1: Right. Brilliant. And so it was from there that you went off to San Francisco? Yes.
0: Um, Cisco, I went to work at Cisco headquarters in San Jose and we lived in a place called Menlo Park, which is kind of halfway between San Francisco and San Jose. And I really enjoyed that as well. That's a um, that's a beautiful place to live. You know, if you go north, you have the wine country, and you go south to places like Monterey and Carmel and Pebble Beach. And the weather's great because it's warm during the day, but it gets cool at night. Mm. It doesn't generally get too hot. Um, so we very much enjoyed that uh, However, culturally, I felt the fit was closer with, um, with the Netherlands right, than, okay. than with either yeah. side of America.
1: And you, so you carried on, traveling you ended up in North Carolina. Yeah. So by that point, what, what was your role? What were you doing?
0: Well, I think one of the um, mistakes I've made in my career is that I spent a long time thinking that what I should really try and do was tick every box, Um, When I think maybe if you use a football analogy, a striker will be really good at striking and will try and get everything good enough. And so the roles in uh, the US were corporate roles. And I'm I'm just not really suited to that kind of role. I I love sales. I love business Mm -hmm. development. I love being out meeting customers. The operational side of things isn't my strength. And I think what that period in America taught me in particular is is play to your strengths and and focus on getting everything else good enough.
1: So was, was that what prompted you to return to, to Scotland or that other...?
0: It, it was partly that, but also there, there were some issues with parental health, with parents oh, right. failing, okay. and um, I felt that I had to come home. And I came home without a job or really a plan. Mm. The priority was to get back to Scotland.
1: I see. And, and that's when you joined Skills Development Scotland. Yes. Was, was that...? So, given that you're not really a corporate person, how did you then feel going in, moving to the public sector?
0: The public sector. Well, um, how that came about was that Cisco were very supportive. Uh, they knew why I had to come home. Right. Someone else was doing the job that I had done, and I, I've never wanted to go back. So I didn't want to go back to that job. And they said, uh, Maggie, if you can find a secondment, we'll support it. But you need to find it yourself. So I contacted people I'd known from before I left and um, Skills Development Scotland offered me a role that would pay the same as other directors if Cisco would make up the difference. Mm-hmm. And actually they brought me in specifically to be a bridge between the public sector and industry because they are Scotland's skills Agency, So they work with industry in order to provide the apprenticeship programme and the skills that are needed. So I was able to play to those strengths and use my industry experience. Right.
1: And then within a couple of years you you moved back into into the private sector with Hewlett-Packard. Yes.
0: I was very ready to move back into the private sector and particularly the IT industry because it's exciting, it's dynamic, it's very fast moving and HP had a big operation or still have a big operation in Erskine just outside Glasgow but people had kind of forgotten that HP had um, a Scottish office and so I joined in order to Um, build the business and also to just remind people that HP had a growing operation based in the west of Scotland.
1: And so uh, after that you moved on to another IT services business called CGI.
0: Um, I joined CGI at a very exciting time. The company had just acquired Logica and they were investing heavily in the UK, and it also coincided with some really big opportunities. So while I was there, we we bid successfully for the City of Edinburgh outsource, uh, Borders Council outsource, and also... uh, city of Glasgow. So it was a really productive um, four or five years and I very much enjoyed working for a French-Canadian company, not least because travelling to HQ in Montreal gave me the opportunity to use my French. So
1: it it was useful still after all those years after university. I read a piece by you in which you quoted the American poet Maya Angelou Um, And it's this, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. How has that sentiment proved important in your business life?
0: I think it's guided me both in my business and in my personal life, especially in your early days as a manager or a leader, you will think about how to get things done But not necessarily the way in which you get them done. And if you make the people who are working for you and with you and whom you report to feel good in terms of what you're delivering, what you're asking them to do, then you simply produce better results. And I think it's a pretty good approach to life as well.
1: Certainly is. Um, And it's taken you through now to your latest role, which you've only been in since December. Um, you're a client partner at NTT Data UK so what what is that job all about?
0: NTT Data UK are a company that's growing at 20% per year they're owned by the Japanese and I've worked for Silicon Valley companies French Canadian companies but never a Japanese company Um, my task is to build the business in Scotland and to make people more aware of who we are I have loved learning about the Japanese way of working. Um, They really nurture long-term relationships. That's very important to them, and they also have this uh, philosophy called ikigai, which is really it can apply to anyone to find your happy place in life. So it's really where passion, mission, profession, and vocation intersect. So find out what you love to do, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you get paid for and you're never going to feel that you're working another day in your life and I have really enjoyed the difference that the Eastern philosophy brings to the business approach.
1: Maggie, you've worked in in technology all of your, your career so given that experience are there any particular insights into the field that you think are important for people to think about?
0: Well, I think I ended up working in technology just because I was looking for work experience and a job after university. But I fell into an industry which has increasingly, over the past three and a half decades, made a huge difference to everybody's lives. I don't think anyone foresaw that in the early 1980s. And what's always inspired me is what it enables so technology really has the ability to make a positive difference to people's lives and if you're working in public sector that's where you can make a real difference. So for me it's always been what it enables rather than how it does what it does.
1: Great. And do you have any examples from your career of, of how that's, that could be a really positive influence?
0: Working now for NTT Data in Scotland, our main client is ACCA, the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants and they are responsible for supporting people studying accountancy through the lifetime of their careers from qualification through uh, continuous career development and of course accountancy is one of the industries that's being disrupted by technology where AI will come into play and Tasks will be automated and um, lower level work will be able to be done as a result of technology and that will free up the accountancy profession to, to really add value to the business and supply information that will guide the course of a business and I think that's an example where technology is having a significant impact on a profession but of course there are lots of other examples it's happening across all industries.
1: Given that IT has been your sector for so long, yes. what is the Morrison House like? I mean are you all kind of Alexa'd up and at the cutting edge of the internet of things and all that kind of stuff?
0: We do have Alexa. we do use Alexa, um, I would say it's not compared to some of my colleagues who have you know more or less some of them an Internet of things lab in their house. It's not like that at all. in our house, we have no kids. our house is, is pretty much dominated by our two dogs um, more than Consulate, technology do. We have a one-year-old Bernese mountain dog and an eight-year-old Bouvier de Flandre. So we've got Ooh, two big dogs. Big dogs, yeah. Yeah, yeah big quite, dogs. Quite boisterous. Uh, the the Bouvier, which is meant to be completely calm by temperament, <laughs> is totally not. Right. The Bernese is very calm.
1: So so, yeah. so weekends, are you out, out and about with the dogs, presumably? Out and about with yeah. the dogs,
0: and I think... Uh, for me personally and for my husband they're terrific, it's terrific to go home to dogs after a day at the office
1: well Maggie thanks very much, I'm just going to finish up with a, a, a new little addition to the <laughs> okay. podcast here and that is to fire <clears throat> five very quick questions at you okay. so just looking for a, a quick answer, answer. <laughs> quick answer, what was the last book you read?
0: Abir Mukherjee, Smoke and Ashes was it good? it was really good,
1: Excellent. loved good it recommendation. what's for tea tonight?
0: I don't know
1: Possibly curry. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) Thursday's a good curry now. Favourite place in the world?
0: Oh, probably the Netherlands, but lots of places I love. First record you bought? Oh, first record I bought was No One's Gonna Change Our World, which was, I think, about 1969. And it was put together by Spike Milligan for the World Wild, Wildlife Fund. And the track I remember best is The Beatles Across the Universe. Oh, yeah.
1: That's, a, that's quite a classy first purchase <laughs> compared to most people.
0: I think the next one might have been Ernie, the fastest milkman <laughs> <snowman laughs> oh, in
1: right. the West. OK. well, <laughs> oh, That's had its own qualities. Um,
0: and finally, who is your hero? You know that's really difficult. I think I've got lots of heroes, uh, but right now maybe my husband's aunt Nan, who turned ninety a couple of weeks e- weekends ago and celebrated by skydiving from seven thousand feet to raise wow. money for combat stress. So if ever there was anyone that proves age is just a number and you can't go on adventures when you're ninety, it's it's my husband's aunt Nan. Wow. That's impressive. My current hero, yeah. age is just <laughs> <upper>. <laughs> a
1: number. Fantastic. A nice point at which to end. And thank you very much. To, it's been lovely to, to meet you and find out about your, your career to date. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. The first single that I ever bought was Super Cali Fragilistic Docious by John Pertwee. How about you? In the meantime, bye for now. We'll be back in a fortnight.
0: To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit
1: sbn.scot.